Hey there, it's April. Working on Stateside the Radio Show every day is fun and fulfilling. Working on Stateside the Podcast is like frosting on that salted caramel cupcake. We are so happy to bring you this focused look at our most essential conversations, our shared culture, our shared understanding of what's going on in the world. It's part of how we stay connected. I'm not sure if you know, but you also have an important role to play. Your donations are what funds our work on Stateside. As you're listening today, would you please take a minute to go to the Michigan Radio website and find that button right up front on the homepage that says Donate. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the whole team and me. Your donation really does make a difference in our work. Now on to today's pod. The Oscar goes to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ruth Carter. Such a huge night last night for one of Hollywood's best designers. Ruth Carter took home the Oscar for Best Costume Design for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Thank you to the Academy for recognizing the superhero that is a black woman. She endures, she loves, she overcomes. She is every woman in this film. It's the only Oscar that this film was awarded, despite being nominated for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Visual Effects, Best Original Song, not to mention Angela Bassett's Best Supporting Actress nomination for her role as Queen Ramonda. We mourn the loss of our king, but do not think for a second that Wakanda has lost her ability to protect our resources. Angela, we love you so much. Awards, no awards. No one can take away from what you did. Say what you will about last night's dubs and snubs. It doesn't take the Academy's votes to see that the Black Panther films were truly a global phenomenon. Together, we are reshaping how culture is represented. When you can provide something on a platform as big as a Marvel film for people to see, like, no, that's a possible world. The agency and autonomy of Black people is a possibility. Um, And here's what that could look like. Here's what it would maybe have looked like. Today, we're going to talk about what it took to design the landscapes, the government, and the rituals of Wakanda and the weight that this imagined universe carries for Black audiences throughout the world. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. It's hard to overstate the reaction among Metro Detroit theatergoers when the first Black Panther movie came out. Some people dressed up just to see the film. I heard one account of a drum circle celebrating at one of the theaters. It was overwhelming. The first two weeks after the release, I just, I mean, like, we were all on the phone with each other. We're like, what is happening? I remember getting a phone call from Kevin Feige. He was like, I'm speechless. And it was everywhere. Everywhere. That's Hannah Beekler, the production designer who worked with director Ryan Coogler in imagining and crafting the world of Wakanda for both Black Panther films. She came to the University of Michigan's Institute for the Humanities as a guest speaker on Afrofuturism earlier this year. Hannah Beekler originated the vision that thrilled millions of filmgoers around the world. And as you'll hear, creating the world of Wakanda was so much more than just collaging African art and architecture and dress styles. 
It was an act of revolutionary imagination. The uh, Wakanda Forever symbol is a new gesture. That's crazy. And everyone knows what it means when you do it. So it's like, that's how deep. And because you don't know, you're just kind of, you're in the world. You're so immersed. But I mean, we had no idea. And now little girls and boys are dressing up in Ruth Carter-styled costumes based on your and Ryan's vision for what Wakanda would be. Yeah. What do you see, I mean, having having a fully flowered, fully engaging Afrofuturist society on a screen, what do you see that meaning for people in cities like Detroit, um, cities like New Orleans, which I think, isn't that where you live now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does it mean for... What does it mean for people in these cities to, to have something, an imagining of a future when they don't see themselves in mainstream culture? Well, and, and that's one thing that's important, that it's in mainstream culture, that they can see what a future can look like with people that look like them. You know, that's one of the major points of that. So it's, you know, for, I don't know, since film, the way that black people all across the diaspora have been viewed in film has been in service to everything else in the film. Um, Even death, right? We're in service to that. Our bodies are in service to that. That's what you grow up seeing. Um, And so you believe at a certain point that that's all that there is. So what's the point? right to try what's the point to try to do more there are people thankfully that know different that's where you get your ryan Kuglers, right that go out that are curious uh so now you get to see yourself as independent and individual which you are not afforded in this society and you get to see your history instead of wondering about your history you get to actually have something solid. Because for a lot of us, specifically African-Americans, you're always on shaky ground, whether you are sleeping in your bed, walking down the street, going in the store, driving in your car, standing, sitting, laughing, crying. You're always on shaky ground. And I wanted, you know, and Ryan wanted people to see that you have earth under your feet. I kind of rambled there, didn't I? No, I was I was thinking about <laughs> no, I was thinking about something that the writer Adrian Marie Brown, longtime Detroiter, has talked about. She's a longtime Detroiter about the fact that science fiction and futurism has been a part of black life and black thinking kind of since forever because there was always this need to imagine a future that was that was for real. Do you have touchstones within genre that kind of got you started when you and Ryan Coogler, the director, started building the Bible for the first film? You know, the Bible. <laughs> this, the story has now been told that there was this book that, that guided everything about Wakanda from language and some basic foundational concepts. It informed the set design, informed the costuming and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean when we talk about yep. the Bible. That's the Bible, and it's real. It took almost a year to create 500 pages. And we we didn't know how to approach anything. I'm just like, I'm at Disney Studios. Like, what? I'm taking pictures and sending them to my mom. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I look, I think I made it. 
And I just was so overwhelmed. And then they're like, okay, do the movie. And then Ryan's like, okay, make a society. And then we'll talk. And, you know, I'm going to Africa because he, he wanted to write in Africa and, and travel through a few countries. And then I just kind of sat and I was like, how do you do this? You know, how do you do this? Where do I go? How do I start? Well, did you, you had worked with Ryan Coogler on Fruitvale Station yes. and all the other films. We, like, did you, was your process for any of those films at all, like what you two did for the Marvel films? I, yeah, it actually was. And I think the first thing, and what Ryan really taught me, this young man, when I met him at 25, taught me was about place, which is always such an important thing in his films. And then it just become really important to me because I see how important it is to people. Um, your, your place, like where are you, your zip code, like that is a thing. So I, that's where I started. And I thought, well, it's no different than what we did with how we got to know Philly. I mean, Ryan and I walked around. We stopped people on the street. We asked if we could take pictures. We asked them about what they were wearing, where they were from, their accents, um, what they felt about black culture in Philly. Um, We discerned the different accents from the west side to the south side. Um, You know, he wanted that to be infused in his um, film, and he wanted to be respectful to the city and and really like part of that was about the new city on one side of the river all of the renovation all of the rising up of buildings looking over and creating a shadow over all of these factories literally which was a, where, shadow. a like shadow it, it, it absolutely apps 100 yeah. that's where rocky lived and so michael in a sense represented that new and Rocky represented that old. And it was like, for a lot of people looking at that situation, you see confrontation. But what Ryan was trying to show you is that it's love. That what Rocky knows, he gave to Adonis, right? And why can't that be the same in our society and the way we live? Instead of looking at it like we're gonna destroy what was old because it's no longer useful, as some people thought about Rocky and Creed, because of all this newfangled Hollywood that's on the other side of the river, why can't there be a way that we can fuse the both of those? I'm sorry to interrupt, but that feels super relevant to black culture as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Specifically, I always say specifically African-Americans just because of uh, the human trafficking that happened and the loss of language and culture and wh- where you're from. And that, that all of these things become really important in my experience. You know, we were building a a fictional African country, and I'm not African. And I want to make that distinction because my experience, and I believe the American experience is specific and unique, even during uh, slavery. Uh, the American slavery was completely different than all other. All of it was brutal. Right, all of it was brutal. But here was brutal, brutal. And so that's the experience that it's hard sometimes when I speak to my brothers and sisters across the, the pond for them to understand there's a different feeling here. I know when I go to Jamaica or I go to the islands or when I go to Africa or when I'm, you know, talking to, you know, Afro-Britons or Afro-Germans are, you know, maybe just me personally, but I'm a lot more frustrated with my place, more frustrated with how this country works. I'm completely forgot what the question was. That's okay. yeah. all this, I will do. I'll go well, right out on a limb and forget. So all all this to say, um, because it was because it was an African country that That's you right. and Ryan were imagining. Yeah. Because 
there the the many examples that we have of black life in the world right now have to do with lost culture, lost language, right. lost style. That's right. That it just it needed that extra degree of scholarship when you two were building the first film. Absolutely. And I think that that's why those things became so important and that's what the foundation of building it was because I was kind of trying to build our past. I was trying to build the African American past. Yeah. By building Wakanda. Because that's what we know, right? And when I could have a conversation on Twitter, like this woman was uh, tweeting me and she was like, you know, I'm gonna meet you in Steptown. You wanna go get your hair done? And I was like, yeah, well, let's stop and get some bry across the street from the A line, you know, from the, and then we'll, we'll hop the red line, we'll, we'll go on downtown. You know what I mean? We were just having this whole conversation and then after that, it was so funny. And then I thought like, how many movies have I ever done that with where I could actually in a fictional world, plan a day around what we were going to do. Like, you know what I mean? It just felt so real to people. And that, that conversation, I think, really made me understand how real it felt when people were going through Steptown in the movie and seeing, you know, Ryan loves food. Like, you know, seeing the texture of putting the... Those little things, the people happy, <laughs> smiling, walking in this beautiful place, um, having access to resources, education, technology, science. My kid was seven when the movie came out, and she was bummed when she realized that she couldn't go. You know, she couldn't, <laughs> and she, she's a little white girl, so whatever, you know. But it was just so, you know. She yeah. she saw it all. Yeah. She saw it. Yeah. And and that, and really really quickly, and then people are like, you know, representation matters and stuff. And when I just said those few little things, it's that type of representation. It doesn't have to be like the big futuristic city of Wakanda. It's just literally seeing yourself walking down that street, free, and going and getting bry. No one's following you. <laughs> no one's profiling you. That that's the representation. Not the beautiful building, right? That's what we're trying to get at. And I think that sometimes gets missed when we're talking about Wakanda. Like, all these little things that we did were, were that. That was, that was the foundation. That was what was important. The people, when I say people, this, I built the people. I built the, that, that made the place. That's what I mean. Do you mind saying a little bit about what mental state people were in on the second project? Yeah, I can talk about that. I mean, I can say that people were actively grieving through that entire process. It was hard, and especially for Ryan. Um, he had so much on his shoulder, and he's such a leader, you know, and he led. But I know it was quite tough for him. And, you know, then you're in the midst of a pandemic. And that, that was hard on people because you're watching people, you know, uh, lose their lives to they've the got sickness. they've got grief in their lives they've regarding got, friends exactly, and family other, exactly yeah. so there is other active grief happening at the same time so it was really hard for ryan having to rewrite that script in three months first of all he had to decide if he wanted to do this film and and you know everyone gave him time to sit with what had happened the passing of chadwick and really listen and be quiet and listen um, for Chadwick's voice and how to move forward. So once he decided that, he needed three months to to figure out what the, what the story was going to be to start rewriting. 
And as we were going, I just kind of knew general things, so I kind of started freeform doing things, and things would come up like the mural of Chadwick. And I'd go to Ryan and sit down and say, you know, do they memorialize as we do, like Kobe Bryant, like... Yeah. Can can I ask? I've seen I've seen the mural in the film, and I've seen pictures. The pictures of it are all over the place now. My Wakandan is not good enough. What I, I just know your process enough. Like you probably had some intention there. Do you mind translating what the mural says on it? Yeah, it's like if I can remember it was so long ago. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm like, hey, it's memory. It's okay. But I believe it says our chief and panther rests with the ancestors. And it was hard. That one was really, and it was little things. I can remember we were trying to find what image of Chadwick, you know, and I'd send images to Ryan, like, you know, how do we want him to appear in in repose or, you know, stately or, you know, he had to decide, does he want him in the panther outfit or no? Do we need to just see him as the king is what we ended up deciding to do. Um, And I had sent this image over to Ryan of... um, him in the Royal Talon Fighter talking to Chadwick and Lupita. It was a beautiful image, sitting on the couch on the first one. And and I didn't even think, I was like, oh, what about this image? And I sent that. And I don't think he's seen an image with him and Chadwick in the same place at that time. And, you know, a couple weeks went by and I was like, oh, did you, you know, we got to get moving. Did you see that? And he was like, man, that hit me. That one hit me. He was like that. He's like, I looked at that, and he he had to just put it down. So that was kind of going on throughout the entire process. With everybody. With everybody. And when the actor, so no one saw that mural. Um, You know, it was painted by Brandon Sadler, who did all the murals in Wakanda Forever and the Shuri uh, Lab mural in the first one. And the decision and approval came down, like, the last second we were shooting the next day, and I was like, this has got to get done. So he's up there all day painting in the rain. And no one had seen it. The actors hadn't seen it. Ryan hadn't seen it. No one knew it was going to be there except for me and Ryan and producer Namor. And, of course, the people who were working on the set. And so when people came in and they saw the mural, you know, it was... um, I think that that when you see the scene of them walking and processing, and hopefully they'll release some, some of the deleted footage of that, that emotion is 100% real. That, that is all coming from a cleansing of these um, friends and family, you know, of Chadwick. And when they saw, I remember Denai just, you know, grabbing me and um, giving me a big hug and we kind of cried together and people were supporting each other and holding hands that first day. And, and so that was... This is the actress Tanai Guerrero who Jonai plays Okoye. Yep, yeah. and, and and Lupita Nyong'o who mm-hmm. is uh, Nikia, and so we all kind of embraced and and Angela and uh, Bassett, the Queen Mother, of course, and so that's you know it was the actors supporting each other, it was them supporting me, it was Ryan supporting me, me supporting Ryan, and so it was just like we had our good and bad days. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Hannah Beekler shares the thought and research behind the funeral procession for King T'Challa. I think in order for it to connect, it needed to come from a place. So we kind of looked at the diaspora for that. But for me, it's about New Orleans because I love my city. More in a minute.
Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. The film just does such an amazing job of making something with grief that is both about grief and of it. There's so many scenes I want to ask you about, but I think I have to ask you about, there are a number of funeral scenes in this film, sadly, <laughs> and, and they just wonderfully juxtapose the feeling of being frozen in grief mm-hmm. with the energy and the music and the release of a certain kind of funeral. So as a designer, tell us about what you were drawing on culturally to to come up with what the funeral was going to look like and why it was important that a futurist place like Wakanda involve that aspect of grieving. You know, we did a lot of looking through different um, countries and on the continent, throughout the diaspora, how people grieve, how sort of people put people to rest. And I'm from New Orleans, and we have a jazz funeral. So there's processions, and it's brass band. You know, you dirge on the one way, which is slow. Um, And then when you are coming back, you second line. And that is a celebration of life. It's You're also getting out grief, right? It's like, you know, you're kind of working that grief through movement, through your body, through this sound of the music through you know it's all coming out and Ryan and I looked at some on YouTube and I showed him and he was like yeah he's like that's what I feel that Wakanda would do for for their king and honestly so many different um, cultures and tribes across the continent grieve in that way where they process um, some with music some without um, you know, the idea of a sacred forest um, or sacred grove is what it's called um, in a lot of the different countries. We looked at them in Nigeria and just a sacred place for your ancestors, a place to go. So we wanted to include that because of the tradition, because at the end of the day, when I created the Bible and talked about each of the individual tribes, they migrated. They weren't magically there. They came from a place they came from another place in Africa and and specifically you know each tribe like the river tribe is coming down from the Ethiopia mm-hmm. and the Omo Valley tribes right that's their tradition that's their history they certainly know it unlike again that's that little nugget for me to give to people as representation we wanted to really make it feel like these tribes came together they are also carrying forward their tradition I think as we all do as humans, we all grieve, we grieve differently, we bury differently for different reasons, whether it's spiritual, religious, uh, just in your family, the way your family does things. So 
I think in order for it to connect, it needed to come from a place. So we kind of looked at the diaspora for that. But for me, it's about New Orleans because I love my city. It's just like stunningly effective in the film. Yeah. Anybody who's ever who's ever lost like that. Um, I, I did want to ask something about um, the grief that was the grief that was part of the process. And please feel free to pass on this. But at the same time, everybody was grieving Chad Bozeman. There was just, as we've said, it was it was pandemic, and there was a lot of grief in people's lives. And frankly, there are a lot of Black families who had stories pre-pandemic about loss, mm-hmm. people gone too soon, mm-hmm. or gone under circumstances that were just wrong and nobody wanted. Was there room for making Black Panther 2 like a part of that grief story as well? You know... I think, yes, I, and I also believe that the grief that we were experiencing um, encompassed all of that, though. You know, it encompassed that, that in the sense that you see the fight back. Mm-hmm. You know, you go through the moment, how that's different for everyone and why we get to the moment. Again, it comes back to the whether you're sitting sleeping, walking, you're on shaky ground, right? But it comes back to that moment that you gotta fight through to find joy. Because black people are some of the most joyful people that shouldn't be. You know, uh, was it James Baldwin who said to be black in America is to be in a rage constantly? You either let that eat you up because you are in a rage or you have to fight through unarmed men getting shot down and come back. And that's what Shuri's journey and Okoye's journey was, was that fight back. And so I think in a sense, Ryan is thinking that because, you know, he's from Oakland. Ryan has seen this his whole life. Um, Obviously, as a black man, was targeted while we were on the film. You know, had guns drawn on him by the police on the film in the bank for withdrawing his own money. And it was all over the news. And I and he told nobody. He told nobody until I saw the footage on Twitter. He, the, he had a gun drawn on him. He, they weren't asking if he was Ryan Coogler. I, to hear the click and the gun come out and know that that was someone who I, I just, he's my family and I love. So when I saw him, I just cried. And he didn't want, you know, this type of person Ryan is, he didn't want that. He needed us to do our work. He wanted us to do our work. He didn't want to worry us about anything. So he didn't say anything to anything. And I think it it affected him as a human man. So it's like, that is all in both Black Panthers because that is something that we are now used to understanding and seeing regularly as if it was part of our world your life could be gone at any second and yet all of this all of this creativity and everything that the whole team brought together to put this thing into the world Mm -hmm. it just feels so much more meaningful i know we've got to let you go but there's (laughs) there's one other thing i have to say this team not only puts out one of the most emotionally rich and resonant and like visually creative things that anyone has seen, I guess, since the last film, 
But in addition to bringing us back to Wakanda and broadening it, you also created Talokan. <laughs> and I'm just Very like, quickly. okay, little, Hannah, another little civilization. <laughs> okay, Hannah Beekler, like it's not an, you're doing, you're already doing it backwards and in heels and you're going to do this too. And I know that you, um, I guess I would just ask, we could, we could have a whole nother like hours long conversation about the process and it's just dazzling. And so many people needed that too. But um, were, were there things that you learned with the world building the first time around that informed the process with Talokan the second time? Absolutely. It wasn't easy, but it made it easier to understand the process. You know, so there is a 400-page Talokan Bible. Um, and that was, you know, I was like, dove right in, boom, you know. It's like, I got Wakanda under this arm, but I need most of my attention here in Talokan. And so, yeah. Uh, it made it a lot easier having done it. I didn't have the stumbles that I did the first time and the, you know, second guessing and doubting. And, you know, obviously it's a huge process, like you said, but it went, it went, I was a little more self-assured about it. The results are, they just speak for themselves. Hannah Beekler, um, we know, we know you're spending all your time in New Orleans now, but we're, if you don't mind, we'll st- we'll keep referring to you as a Great Lakes person. Yeah, you can. That's <laughs> okay. right. You can. I'm I'm a proud Midwesterner. Look. All right. Well, it's been <laughs> amazing you. talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Bear. You can find the full Stateside show with lots of episodes for streaming when you're ready for more listens at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Ronia Kabansag. Other producers on the show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.